I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 41 of Season 6 of Over a Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Todd Levenow of the, uh, I forget, the, the Forgotten Filmcast. Welcome back to the show, Todd. Absolutely. Great to be back. Always, always fun to be on this show. Uh, it, you always pick great movies to talk about, so it's it's cool to be back. Yeah, and I, I always I always like having you on as a guest, especially you know I I try to get you on some great minutes, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I you know you always ask what you want, and I'm always like, ah, you know, whatever, just pick whatever. I, I you know I I think the only I think the only time I actually specifically requested ones was when you was playing trains and automobiles. Yeah, because there were scenes that were shot in my wife's hometown, which What's interesting enough, bit. Bedford Falls reminds me a lot of my wife's hometown, to be honest with you. Uh, just kind of the the style of the 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 streets and the buildings and things like that. A little bit of my hometown, but more so my wife's hometown. You think so? You think you think that uh, um, Woodstock and wait, it's Woodstock, right? Yeah, Woodstock, yeah, Illinois, Woodstock, Illinois, and they, Bedford Falls and fake Bedford Falls, New York. You think are are the same place, more or less? Could this uh, could this theoretically I mean, be the same town? Uh, well, no, but, but I mean, that's interesting because, you know, of course, you know, as we've discussed, Woodstock, Illinois is where they shot Groundhog Day. So, you know, you could have, it's a wonderful life just repeating over and over again, if that were the case, but. Well, how do we know that didn't happen? It could have happened for all we know. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just kind of the dynamic of the, of the town. I mean, it's, you know, I, I often I can't really say that I grew up in a small town. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. You know, I mean, it's it's its own community and such, but it's a part of the greater Chicagoland area. Whereas where my wife grew up, Woodstock is a bit more separated from the rest of the Chicagoland area. You know, it's it's more like that small town feel. And I guess that's kind of what I think about with Bedford Falls. You know? Okay. All right. So So it's like you have to go from Pittsburgh to 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 uh uh, uh you know that type of right thing. yeah you know, so, yeah you know the same same type of thing mm-hmm. okay that, that makes sense makes sense i mean i as you know i grew up in the suburbs also i didn't grow up in the small town you know i grew up in the suburbs of detroit so you know uh I've, I've never had that small town feel you know except for when i watch movies like this you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think you know it's kind of like I don't know. I think there's more of that, you know, like everybody knows everybody type of a vibe where, you know, of course it's not that way. There's no way you could know everybody in town, uh, you know, but you just kind of, there's more of that sense of community and such. And I suppose even in the suburbs, you get that to us 
an extent just within your own maybe neighborhood and circle and stuff like that. But I think in a small town like what Bedford Falls kind of represents, it's it's more of that feel where just you know, we all know each other and we all know so-and-so runs the pharmacy and so-and-so runs the savings and load and all that kind of stuff, you know? Right. I mean, we've talked about this uh, over the last few weeks and I'm assuming we, I, mean, I think we might even talk about it this week. The fact that, you know, not everyone really knows everyone else, even though it is a small town feel, you know, mm-hmm. maybe everyone knows that you go to Gower's uh, drugstore in order to get poison or if you, or you go there, <laughs> you know, either poison, poison or, or, or getting a, uh, you know, a, a hot fudge sundae, you know, with, without coconuts where he clearly puts tons of coconut on it. So I, I don't know. Poison coconut. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> it, it's very possible. But, you know, the, the whole idea though is, you know, the, this movie is supposed to give you that, that small town feeling because, you know, they want us to believe that everyone knows George Bailey and George Bailey knows everybody. And that's part of the, the quote unquote miracle of, of this movie, you know, because right. he, he's able to affect everyone there. I mean, in, in the suburb that you grew up in Chicago or the suburb that I grew up in Detroit, uh, you know, we didn't know everybody. Now, nobody knew us, I, I, or not everyone knew us. I don't think it's the type of thing that we could say that if either one of us wasn't born and wasn't growing up there, you know, that, that people would be that much affected. Yeah, at the, in the same way that George Bailey. Not on the same scale, yeah. No, obviously not on the same scale. You know, that, I mean, so what, what actually is your background with It's a Wonderful Life? I mean, you mentioned before that I, I keep picking great movies. I, I pick movies that I like, and I always uh, pick movies that, that – I know that I will have a lot to talk about uh, along with my guests. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm going this far back. You know, 77 years is the furthest I've been back uh, going, going through these uh, movies. But so what, what's your background with it? So I remember very clearly when I was introduced to It's a Wonderful Life, uh, my eighth grade history teacher showed it to our class. Uh, or hi- I say history. It was, I think that technically it would have been social studies class back then. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm sure it was just a thing like, you know, we were coming up on Christmas and she needed some time, you know, and, and wanted to have something that was <laughs> not too, too uh, difficult. And so she put on a movie for, for two days. And um, so, yeah, Miss Zek's class, eighth grade, we watched It's a Wonderful Life. And it was really one of my first exposures to movies from this era, you know, outside of like watching the wizard of Oz every year on TV, uh, probably, you know, <laughs> actually, no, we, well, we weren't at colorization yet. I, this is no, uh, I'm talking about see. for the wizard of Oz. I'm talking about the wizard. Oh. Of Oz. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I remember watching this in, uh, in school when I was in middle school and just really was, was fascinated by it. I was like, wow, that's a great movie, you know? And then of course, you know, would catch it as it showed on TV, because this is the era where it showed on TV all the time, uh, around Christmas, every channel showed this, um, you know, it was where this, I mean, it's a wonderful life was what a lot of TV stations would go to like on Thanksgiving day, for example, like you'd watch the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade and then they'd put on, it's a wonderful life. And you could literally switch the dial and find it playing on several stations at the same time, because it was a public domain movie. And so that's like, 
that's the reason why, for example, Night of the Living Dead would show up on station after station all the time because it was public domain and and they could get a cruddy copy and show it no problem. So yeah, It's a Wonderful Life showed up on multiple TV stations, sometimes at the same time, all throughout the holiday season. Uh, but the first time watching it was was at school. So yeah, I'll, I will always remember that. Oh, wow. And is it something that you watch yearly or just whenever? Not whenever, yearly. You know. I, think, I think it was type one of those type of things where maybe I would see bits and pieces of it. You know, like you'd be flipping the dial and it'd be on and you'd watch a little bit here and there. Um, I don't know that I had that many complete viewings of it after that initial viewing. Um, but I've certainly seen it here and there. And I mean, really... It had been many years since I had seen the whole thing through and just actually sat down and, and watched it. And you were the cause of me watching it again in full because we were on an episode of the Lambcast and you uh, won the vote for having it be the Christmas movie of wow, the month. Wow, that was a year. That uh, was a that year. year. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. Was that last year? I was trying to remember exactly. Yeah, it was last year. But, yeah. And so, um, you know, that was the first time I had sat down and rewatched it in full in quite a while. And, you know, it's just it is just a great movie. I mean, it's a, it's one of those where you watch it and you go, if this doesn't get to you in some way, I mean, you have no soul. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's, <laughs> it's just one of those great movies. Well, and did you did you convince uh, a family member to rewatch it with you at this point? I did not. I wish I had. I mean, my kids are both adults now and have crazy schedules and you know it's hard to wrangle them to sit down and watch something with me so no i did it solo <laughs> no because i i know you did that for 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 die hard you know and die hard too you got yeah. you, you got your son to join you for them so yeah i did i got my son to join me for die hard too because you know we had only made it as far as die hard one with that and i was like i need you to to watch Die Hard 2 with me because and part of the reason that I think I might have said this to you when we did the show, I was like, I like Die Hard 2 a lot, but I really wanted to get to Die Hard with a vengeance with my son because I, I think that's the second best of the Die Hard movies. And I know my son loves Samuel L. Jackson. So I was like, we got to watch this. This is one of the best Samuel L. Jackson movies. So. Well, we you have to skip. wait another season we, for that one. <laughs> yeah, but and I mean we can't skip. I couldn't skip over Die no, Hard two not. and go right to Die Hard with a Vengeance. So yeah, no, of course not. That that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. Okay, so <laughs> episode forty one begins, or minute forty one begins with George uh, being confronted by his mother, Ma Bailey, and ends with George being pointed towards the right. So we, we ended things on Friday with with George. You know, standing outside, having left the, this this big party that they've made for for his brother and and new sister in law, and you know he helps his uncle uh, on his way. You know, we got to to see the whole uh, Uncle Billy thing, which we talked about last week with the the garbage can and all that 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 stuff. And he's just standing there now with with his mother, with Ma Bailey, and. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of, I guess you could say, having a moment together with, with, with this whole thing. And it makes you wonder, you know, like, uh, what does George really think about the fact that, you know, Harry has just returned home and has basically screwed him over, more or less? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure this will come up a lot in this uh, the next couple of days here. Um, I can relate to George a lot just because I'm kind of that same guy who doesn't want to rock the boat, you know, who who's like sometimes things may not go my way. Um, but it's hard for me to be like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stand up for myself or I'm going to be assertive and do this thing, or, you know, I'm going to say this thing that, that, uh, you know, is really on my mind or whatever. Um, you know, George and I, and I, and we'll get to it more as we go here. I mean, George doesn't realize that, I mean, Mary's like a sure thing <laughs> and, and he, he doesn't realize it though. You know, I mean, he, he's, he, he's, you know, he needs people to push him in the right direction. I, I would, yeah, I'm very much that kind of person at times, especially, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this more. I'm sure I don't want to jump the gun here, but you know, <laughs> when it came to when, uh, I met my, my future wife and she was showing interest in me and stuff, I was clueless, you know, I definitely needed pushing. I'm glad she was as assertive as she was. <laughs> She was more like Mary, was trying to get on board with the fact that she liked me. So yeah, I I I, I hope you've you've asked Amy if she she's actually still happy about that decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to be coming up on thirty years here this next summer, so I I'm I'm assuming she is. So. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so basically, uh, Ma Bailey says to him, "Stop that grunting." Hmm. And then she says, can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary? You know, so, again, the whole idea, I mean, first of all, it's been four years since the, we're assuming three or four years since since the, the dance where where he saw, um, where he saw Mary. And, you know, his father has been dead for that amount of time also. And, it, I mean, it's very interesting that his mother is prodding him in the direction to, you know, both literally and figuratively that basically Mary is the right one for him, you know, and, and as you mentioned before, I mean, George is completely clueless about this. It doesn't really, it's not even something that's on his mind. He, his mind is on, uh, you know, adventures that, that now just, you know, the, the, the balloon has been popped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had these ideas that of what he was going to do and that's no longer there. You know, now he, now he needs to refigure things, what he's going to do now that Harry, you know, is is now married, and Harry has this great job op- opportunity, and you know, and it's not even staying in Bedford Falls. If I remember correctly, it's in Buffalo, where he needs to go. Mm. You know, which which we don't know the exact distance to Buffalo because we don't know where Bedford Falls specifically yeah, where is. Where is Bedford Falls it's, exactly? It's somewhere <laughs> in, in New York. You know, up, upstate New York or whatever it is. You know, but but what they're trying to show here is that his mother still knows best. She's aware of what's going on. She's aware that that Mary is is very interested in George. I don't know where she would have known this from, because you know when has she seen? We're not sure when she's seen Mary. Well, again, as we were saying earlier, it's small town. You know, the quote unquote everybody knows everybody type of thing. So, you know, the idea that that so and so uh likes you you know i mean she's got her eyes open you know okay she, well, well let, you know what let's, let's go through let's go through, through the dialogue and try and try and you know understand it so like why, why give me one reason why you shouldn't call him mary so george says sure sam wainwright and then his mother looks at him and goes hee-haw 
Now, I find that hilarious. I never noticed this without, you know, I've, I've seen this movie dozens of times. I've never noticed that she says hee-haw. You know, throughout the movie, mm, they have, yeah, the, no, I, you know, their signal between the friends, you know, between Sam and George and, and uh, um, Marty. And you also have it at the, you know, at the beginning with, with Harry also, you know, the whole hee-haw thing. But I never realized that that was Sam, Sam Wainwright's uh, nickname. Like a nickname. That's right. Yeah, and no, then his I, mother calls him. <laughs> no, that didn't register with me either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 an odd name. It's almost like um, uh, like a name you would see out of a character like out of the Little Rascals or something like exactly. that. You know. Um, well, this is 1932. <laughs> and it's and it's fitting too because I mean you know, we did have alfalfa in a few weeks. Ago. Yeah, yeah, there's a little rascal in this movie, I, which <laughs> always blows me away every time I watch That's this right. movie. I'm like, oh yeah, alfalfa's in this movie. That's right. <laughs> and and then uh, it, it just like I was trying to think about it. Have, have my parents or myself, you know, did 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 my parents ever call any of my friends by nicknames? Or did I, do I ever call my, my children's kids by their nicknames? No. You know, it's, it's, mm, uh, no. what, what, what I'm trying to remember what, what TV show it was. You know, for some reason, I'm, it, it's hitting, I'm thinking of Leave it to Beaver, but I don't think it's Leave it to Beaver because oh, I was thinking of any well, Haskell like, type of thing. You know, that, that, I, I, I know one that just came to mind that was along those lines. So, um, remember the show Growing Pains? Yes. Okay. And didn't Kirk Cameron's character have a a buddy who had just the worst nickname you could ever do for was a, like a Booger family or something like that? sitcom? I think it was Boner. I think That's Boner right. was the That's nickname. Right. And like the mom and dad called him Boner on the show. Yeah. Well, I, I <laughs> it, the the truth is that that word is not necessarily you know uh, a bad word at all times. I remember I was reading a Hardy Boy right. book. You know, uh, that the Hardy Boy books came out when the 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't even remember when they were. And they mentioned somewhere, don't give that old guy a boner. And the, the idea was, is it was, it was like the, the connotation is completely different. They're, you know, the, it's like a mistake or something like that, I think is what the slang meant. Like, you know, to pull it's, a boner right. was it to is make a, a stupid, mistake. Yeah. A stupid mistake. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how they got, got through, got away with that with the, <laughs> With 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 the censors in the eighties, but yeah, you're right. They're they're, but you sure that his parents called him that? That the, the parents called his friend that? I think they called him by his I'm real name. Sure. Maybe his, I think for some reason I'm thinking his real name was Richard, but I I don't know. Which would also I be fitting. I think you're right. I think <laughs> you know. I think the his last name was like Stabone or something like that. It had bone in it somehow, so that's where Boner came from. Yeah, I think so. It was something like that, but but. You know, I think his first name was maybe Richard, which is somewhat fitting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. His name was Richard Boner Stabone. There you go. Played by <laughs> played by Andrew Koenig. That's and right, was, Walter Koenig's that's son. That's right. Yes, and he was from Star Trek. He was only on twenty five episodes of of uh, Growing Pains, which is one more episode than Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, the cousin Oliver of Growing Pains. That's right. That's right. Wow, did you know that that, that he died? Uh, Andrew Koenig? I did. I did know that. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that's right. He's Walter Koenig's 
son, and I seem to remember seeing an interview with with Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and made reference to his son's passing at some point. Yeah, he he committed suicide uh, in 2010. Hmm. Wow. That, yeah, Growing Pains was, I mean, I watched that one all the time. It was Who's the Boss was on, and then Growing Pains after that. Well, yeah. Okay, so there we go. There is an example. But but I can't think of any real examples from my life of, of mm-hmm. where I would call, you know, my, my children's friends by a nickname or whatever. You know, you call them by, by the name, you know. Right. The name exactly. that your parents gave you. That, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And then the mother, uh, then uh, George responds, "Yes, Sam's crazy about Mary." And she responds, "Well, she's not crazy about him." Well, how do you know? What did she discuss it with you? No. Well, then how do you know? Well, I've got eyes, haven't I? Why she lights up like a firefly whenever you're around. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know. What- so again, it goes back to the fact that okay. You know, she she mentioned uh, last week that, that Mary is back in town. But, you know, if she lights up like a firefly whenever she sees George. So where, you know, where conceivably did George see her recently and not know that he saw her? Well, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, mom's crafty. <laughs> mom's can be crafty. She's, she's trying to get him hooked up. And and that's that. Yeah. Uh, the the firefly line made me laugh a little bit because um i it's weird when i see things where fireflies are referenced i go oh yeah fireflies because we don't have them here in colorado um what i uh i grew up like we said in the chicago area and you know summer nights fireflies are out we go out catch fireflies all that kind of stuff but um we don't we don't have them here. I don't know if it's the altitude or what, but it's just, they, they're not here. And um, so like when I used to take, we'd go in the summer and visit my parents back in the Chicago area, my kids, the, one of the biggest thrills for them was the fact that there were fireflies and they you know, <laughs> go see these. Cause it just was not a thing that it, you know, their regular lives here in Colorado, they don't get to experience those. So um, fireflies are like a new exotic thing uh, to my family ever since moving to Colorado. Oh wow, that's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I at this part of the world we don't get fireflies either, so I, I haven't seen fireflies since I was a kid. You know, but I, I don't mm-hmm. really miss them. <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's not something. Yeah, I mean they're they. I mean they're fun to catch when you're a kid, but they were they could be a little annoying and and creepy too. Like you're just sitting there and they come, they would brush up against you and they just yeah, <laughs> right. But they're cool looking. That's true. That's true. And, um, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's just uh, motherly intuition, this whole thing. I think that's what it comes down to, you know, that, yep. uh, and, but as you said, George is completely oblivious, you know, doesn't, doesn't know anything about what's going on. So like that. did you notice in the background, we see everyone like people dancing in the background throughout this whole thing. Yes. You know, it's like yeah. the, the, the party is going full steam, even without George and, and Ma Bailey, you know, we well, don't need that. Very busy backgrounds in general <laughs> over yes. these uh, next couple of minutes, I've noticed. That's true. That's true. Yes, we we will mention that later in the week. We will get to some some very interesting things that, that are going on in the background. And but, uh, no, I, I did catch it in this scene specifically because, yeah, it's, a, it's basically you see the silhouette of people right. dancing back there. Mm-hmm. Um, am I right? Was it yeah. silhouette? Yeah. And, um, 
and yeah, silhouette stuff always intrigues me um, because because uh, you're a uh, puppet guy. You know, we've talked about it before. When I, I'm a puppet guy, I'm a puppeteer, um, and uh, I've done quite a bit with shadow puppets. And um, you know that was that was something where many years ago when we were working on a production and we said let's do some shadow puppets and it's something I really had to kind of investigate myself and try and learn some stuff about and. Um, and so I, I've always just ever since then been intrigued with using silhouettes to kind of tell a story and such. So, uh, so yeah, that was neat to see. Yeah, very much is. And then George basically said, Oh, and then his mother says, besides Sam Wainwright's away in New York and you're here in Bedford Falls. <laughs> and then George looks at her and goes, and all's fair in love and war. Now, do you know where that, <laughs> do you know where that phrase can, comes from? I do not. I know I've heard it many times, but yeah, I don't know where that's from. Yeah, so I I, I actually looked that up. Uh, surprisingly, you know, me looking for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there there is a novel that was written in 1578 called uh, uh, Euphues. I think that's how it's pronounced. E U P H U E S. The Anatomy of Wit, which was uh, published in 1578 by John uh, Lyley. It was a novel, and that is the uh, earliest known origin of the idea of all is fair in love and war, because the, the, the novel is about the romantic adventures of a wealthy and attractive young man, and it has a quote in it that says, the rules of fair play do not apply in love and war. So basically what, what they're saying here is, is that uh, you know nothing is off limits when you're dealing with either war or when you're in love. You know, Killing the enemy is justified. Spying, torture, lying, cheating, backstabbing, and making deals with the enemy are all fair game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess when it comes to love, it's the, the same type of thing, even though it's the exact opposite of war, which is, uh, you know, which, which is, is funny to use that as the analogy here. Basically, they're saying, you know, the, you can go through the whole gamut, the whole spectrum from love to war or from war to love, you know, that, uh, there, there are, you know, usually there are, there are accepted rules and limits, but if you break them and you're, you know, and and you end up uh, winning, you know, then you know no one really cares from that perspective. <laughs> yeah, I kind of as I watch the scene, I feel like you know, like I would have been the the guy who missed out you know like <laughs> like i'm sam wainwright yeah <laughs> it's stealing away from, <laughs> from me. not that sam wainwright really had a chance to but that, that's right no and that and then that phrase in love and war to it i i i mean you know you know we're both movie guys so my brain has always wired movies and so i hear in love and war and i go always oh, going wasn't that a sandra bullock movie sandra <laughs> bullock chris and, and chris o'donnell exactly <laughs> Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> he played Ernest Hemingway in that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't really like that movie very much. I, was, I rewatched it like a year ago, I think, or a year and a half ago. So I, I wasn't too impressed with it, even though it has great. I saw it. Great. I saw it once. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, me too. <laughs> uh, and then George responds and says, "Well, I don't know about war. I guess so." He's agreeing that it is all fair in love. You know, which mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's not sure about that anymore, which is ironic that this, that this phrase was written into this movie, which was being, you know, it was, it was being written during world war two, you know, even though this takes place, 
uh, more than a decade earlier, you know, this point mm-hmm. of the movie. And then he goes, mother of mine, I can see right through you, right to your back collar button. <laughs> what a weird. Actually, you know what? I just, I made a mistake. It was, <laughs> it was his mother who says, I don't know about war. Ah, okay. It was the mother's. So, I mean, the, the comment is his mother says, I don't know about war, but she is the one who knows about love. Because what does George know about love? George is, uh, what does he know? He's, he's 20, clueless. <laughs> he's completely clueless, but he's, he's like maybe 25 at this point. No, he's, yeah, he's around 25, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think he was born, his character was supposed to be born in 1907, if I remember correctly. So, if this is 1932, so he's exactly 25 at this point. But, you know, we don't, I mean, we saw even when he was in the uh, in the soda shop at the beginning, when Mary and uh, and Violet were were oogling him. You know, he didn't really know anything about that at that point either. He's even though he wanted a harem, but whatever. That... <laughs> yeah, he didn't show any interest in the two girls there, but he wanted a harem. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> and then then George says to his mother, "Mother of mine." I can see right through you, right to your back collar uh, button. Trying to get rid of me, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, here's your hat. <laughs> and I love the way she, like, places his hat on his head as if she's been holding it and just crumples it on his head. <laughs> well, and what's weird, too, is you, it, when I was watching that scene, I was like, it looks like the hat just comes from out of nowhere. Yes. Because she's she's so much smaller than him. That's and right. suddenly this hat pops on his head. <laughs> That's like, right. Where did that come from? It's from a uh, someone someone uh, uh, on the side, you know, the, a a uh, uh, what's going on? A a crew member on the side is just quickly giving it to him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but because it doesn't really go on his head very well either. And then, I mean, I find this a little strange, but I was doing a little research and I understand that it might not be so strange. But then he gives his mother a kiss on the lips. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's one of the big things in my notes right here is like, yep, that's a little strange. (laughs) Yeah, I find it a little strange. But again, I was doing a little bit of research and I was I was basically told that there are families where this is considered appropriate. So I I mean, I'm not going to go into trying to figure out whether it's right or wrong, apparently in their family, that, that was okay. You know? So I, I well, think we'll just I, leave it at that. <laughs> and I take it to that in, you know, different cultures and, you know, maybe different countries and things like that. There is a background of that more. I mean, like, you know, no, but this isn't, this <laughs> isn't mean, kissing twice like, on the cheek and stuff yeah. like that, you know? Uh, oh yeah, this isn't Michael kissing Fredo or whatever. You that's know? Right. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe that's what oh, George is saying. No, George, <laughs> George is saying you're sending me off to Mary's. Here is a kiss of death. <laughs> I knew it was you, Ma Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then he says, "What's your hurry?" And then he goes, "All right, mother." Old building and lone pal. I think I'll go out and find a girl and do a, a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Now, if you'll just point me in the right direction. Now, first of all, the, 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 <laughs> I, I gotta mention this. Once again, in one of my movies, the, the term pal has come up. You know, this is something that came up twice in, with the diehards, you know, in the original diehard and diehard two, they used the term pal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that was how 
you know, John, John and, uh, and Al were talking, you know, throughout the, the original Dyer. They kept, you know, he kept calling him pal. And then and there's died. a line too where he says, uh, "Welcome to the party, pal." That's right, exactly. And and then we had Esperanzo say he says it to Esperanzo. He calls him pal, you know. So it 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 does come up. I I believe uh, I I was trying to think if it if it came up in when Harry and Sally it didn't come up in, but I I was wondering if it was in plane shows and automobiles, but I, I I didn't have time to check it, but I have a feeling it didn't. Mm, I don't remember. But okay, three three out of six so far is not bad. Not that this is a criteria for me to pick which movies, you know, I'm going to do by, by looking for the word pal, but I just thought it was interesting, you know. And then, uh, you know, he said, just point me in the right direction. So she points him to the right, and then he goes, this direction, and then walks off a camera uh, towards the right. <laughs> which, which, if we end there, leaves you with the uh, the wrong impression. Well, <laughs> no, it, leave, it leaves you with the right impression, <laughs> as yeah, opposed no, to yeah, the left I guess impression. You're, you're right, exactly. <laughs> but that that's what's fun about doing this minute by minute. You know, we only, uh, you know, our discussion today only involves this minute. It doesn't matter anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, it does not matter what happens in tomorrow's minute. We'll have to worry about that tomorrow, not today. Exactly. All right. So, did you have anything else you want to say about this minute? No, I think we're good. All right. So Monday's segment is uh, Capra Monday, where basically my guests will give their top five Frank Capra movies, uh, starting with number five and working your way up. So what, what have you got for us, uh, Todd? So here's here's the thing, Rob. <laughs> I am ashamed to admit that um and i didn't even realize how big of a blind spot it was for me but um i have not seen a whole lot of frank capra movies i realized okay getting ready for this and um as i looked at things i was like i've only seen four frank frank capra directed feature films now okay there's more than jay there's more than jay because jay's only seen three (laughs) (laughs) i could give you a I could do the full five though, because I'm going to give you an answer for my number five that I, I would think nobody else is going to give you because there is a fifth film directed by Frank Capra. I have seen it's a short. Okay. It's our Mr. Son, because I remember seeing that in school, uh, you know, like they pulled out the projector and put this thing on and I remember this educational short that I think was produced by Bell Telephone or something like that. And it's got this, uh, there's a, a scientist and another guy who I think, if I remember correctly, is played by Eddie Albert. Uh, they're talking all about the sun and there's this animated sun thing. And Frank Amber did a couple of these animated films. And I have a vivid memory of seeing this weird little film in school. So um Go look at it on YouTube. It's public domain. Our Mr. Son. So I'm going to yeah, put, with, make that my number five. All so right, I can it's, get it's, to five. It's an it's a short, but it's an hour. It's right. a, it's yeah. an hour, and it it has Eddie Albert and Lionel Barrymore. Mm-hmm. So there you yeah. go. So anyway, so I'll make that number five. Perfect. Um, number four, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Number three, it happened one night. Number two, this ranks higher because it's an all-time favorite of my wife's, uh, and we've watched it together a few times. Arsenic and Old Lace. Mm-hmm. And number one, It's a Wonderful Life. 
Well, okay, great. That is a great list. Uh, just so you know, you're not the first person to choose a Frank Capra short. You know, we've we've oh, had we've okay. had other people that have that have used shorts. One of them was Rendezvous in Space, which I went and watched afterwards, and it was amazing. It really is. Mm. It, it's you know. Um, so I if you're looking for just... another short. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I I admit I am intrigued by old educational films. Um, as a matter of fact, on my podcast, every episode I throw in a few weird clips here and there when the show is just getting started, and a lot of times those weird audio clips that I'm pulling are from old educational films because um, I just think there's some wonderful, weird, crazy dialogue in those things. And, and, uh, and those films definitely count as forgotten films as well. So uh, I like to kind of salute the uh, the educational films like Our Mr. Son. I've, def- I've definitely used clips from Our Mr. Son on the podcast before. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So, Todd, you want to tell people where they can find uh, Todd Lieben now? Yeah, so the blog is called uh, Forgotten Films. It's at ForgottenFilmCast.wordpress.com. And then my podcast is called The Forgotten Filmcast. And you can find that uh, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, I'm on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at Forgotten Films. That's films with a Z. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minutes. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can find me. I'm still going to call it Twitter doesn't matter i you know i don't, I don't get this whole x thing just easier the artist formerly known as twitter that's right <laughs> and my website moveyourminutes.com so until tomorrow hot dog hot dog i love you truly truly dear life with its sorrow Life with its tears